This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, digital consciousness. Are we living in a computer simulation? Exploring the very nature of our reality with Jim Elvidge, the author of Digital Consciousness. All of the things we interact with, there doesn't have to be stuff there. It feels like stuff, but all we're feeling when we knock on a door, what we're interpreting are signals that are going to our brain that are telling us that we're extremely close to something else and there's a repulsive force that is making it difficult for our knuckles to go any further into it. That communication that's happening in the brain is really what we feel when we think we feel stuff. We don't really feel stuff. Our the molecules in our knuckles don't touch the molecules on a door. All right, I've been telling you about this big reverse speech live event happening in Toronto, Thursday, October the 18th. That's tomorrow. And here is the discoverer of reverse speech, David John Oates. David, welcome to Canada. Well, thank you so much. It's great to be here. It's a lovely town from what I've seen, or a lovely country from what I've seen so far, yeah. So you and I are going to see each other on Saturday the 20th, but first, let people know, for those not familiar with reverse speech, what it is and how it works. Sure. All right, well, very simply, reverse speech is another human sense. The theory behind it is that language is bi-level, forwards as well as backwards. And as the human brain is putting the sounds of speech together, it's doing it in such a way that we're saying two things at once, one forwards and one in reverse. And quite literally, if you record human speech and run it backwards, about once every 15 or 20 seconds, you can hear these very clear phrases amongst the gibberish, some of them as clear as I'm talking to you now, uh, that is what is happening not just on a conscious level, but on an unconscious level, uh, the, we're tapping into unconscious thought processes and conscious thought. And that's what we're hearing in reverse. On Saturday, October the 20th, at the Metamorphosis Greek Orthodox Church, I'll be uh, hosting and you'll be presenting some of these reversals. Just tell people what they'll be hearing. Well, I'll be starting off with the basic introduction of reverse speech first, playing some simple examples of some politicians and children. Uh, children are great in reverse. You'll love hearing them. Um, uh, I'll be moving, I'll be covering the uh, JFK assassination in uh, quite some depth. Um, you, you will, people will be surprised by what I've found. Um, it doesn't necessarily fit all the conspiracy theories floating around. So if you want a new perspective on JFK, 
Uh, I may cover the moon landings, um, and um, I'll be going into the therapeutic aspects of reverse speech, and I'll be going way down deep into the spiritual level and how reverse speech taps into the spirit or the soul. Fantastic. David, looking forward to it. I'm going to work Christian Decadure in here from Crime and Trauma Scene Cleaners, who is presenting this uh, fabulous reverse speech event. Christian? Hello. Hi, Christian. So, let people know all the details about the uh, the three-day event. Okay, well, everyone, there is a three-day event of reverse speech. It is an absolute amazing technology. We're very excited and very proud that it's uh, here in Canada, and the founder, David John Oates, is here. So, Thursday, October the 18th, from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m., at Metamorphosis Greek Orthodox Church in the basement. Tickets are $10 at the door. We will be conducting reversals found on politicians, both Canadian and American and some international. So that's Thursday. Friday evening, it's an amazing evening. I mean, the Friday is just great. It's the first time that anyone has done some reversals on certain specific serial killers. We've got some amazing reversals on Jeffrey Dahmer, some outstanding reversals on John Gotti and Richard Kuklinski, the Iceman, one of the most famous hitmen in the United States working for the Gambino family and a private contractor. We've also got some uh, amazing reversals on uh, Richard Ramirez, uh, the Night Stalker, just a combination of different mobsters, hitmen, and of course, uh, very infamous uh, serial killers. So that's Friday night, and that is from 7 to 9 as well. Metamorphosis Greek Orthodox Church. Tickets are $10 at the door right beside Donlin Station in the basement. Now, the main event this Saturday, which of course will be hosted by you, Richard, presented by Crime and Trauma Scene Cleaners, is from 2 to 5 p.m., three hours, and it is uh, at Metamorphosis Greek Orthodox Church. Again, tickets are $15 at the door, and David will be revealing new aspects and new angles to the JFK assassination, as well as Princess Diana, the moon landing, and a multitude of other very, very popular conspiracies that reverse speech has opened up the doors to that was never ever uh, known about previously. And that will be held this Saturday, the 20th of October, between 2 and 5 at Metamorphosis Greek Orthodox Church, $15 at the door in the basement, right beside Donlin Subway Station. So, a quick recap. Thursday, October the 18th, David John Oates presents the reversals of politicians. That's 7 to 9 p.m. Metamorphosis Greek Orthodox Church, that's 40 Donlins Avenue, right next to the Donlin subway station in Toronto. That's Thursday, October the 18th. Friday, October the 19th, 7 to 9 p.m., same location, 40 Donlins Avenue, the reverse speech of hitmen, mobsters, and serial killers. That again is 7 to 9 p.m., $10 at the door. And then, Saturday, October the 20th, you and I will be hosting as David John Oates, the discoverer of reverse speech attempts to solve the JFK assassination using reversals. We'll also hear about the moon landing hoax and the assassination of Princess Diana. That is 2 to 5 p.m. 2 to 5 p.m. $15 at the door. Again, 40 Donlins Avenue, Metamorphosis Greek Orthodox Church, a presentation of crime and trauma scene cleaners. For more information, go to reverse speech. Com. David and Christian, thank you so much. Look forward to seeing you. Thank Great. you so much. Thank Great. you so much. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett.
Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Wednesday. Jim Elvidge is standing by. He has a new book that's available in a few months. It's a follow-up to his previous book, The Universe Solved, which came out almost 10 years ago, I think. In Digital Consciousness, Jim explores and attempts to solve some of the greatest mysteries known to man in one fell swoop. Who is God? What happens after we die? What the heck is quantum entanglement? The Mandela Effect? Uh, and more. Our reality is not what it appears to be. And the latest physics experiments demonstrate that an objective reality doesn't even exist. And no one truly knows what consciousness is or where the mind resides. Strange interconnectedness, anomalous events, and changing histories confound even the most open-minded of scientists. And no single theory seems to be able to explain it all until now, perhaps. This is going to be a two-parter. But before we get to Jim, I want to share a few emails from some faithful listeners. Good evening, Richard. I found your podcast through Suggested on my podcast app on iPhone 8. I live and drive a garbage truck in Phoenix. Uh, your show keeps me focused, engaged, and thoroughly entertained. I enjoy the very topics you present and the respect shown to all guests, even the ones you, your opinion may differ from. Keep up the great work. I especially enjoyed the Philadelphia Experiment and Q episodes recently. The best to you and your family. Jeremy L. Dow. Well, thanks, Jeremy. Great to hear from you, and God bless. Hi, Richard. Jason here from just down the road in London, Ontario. I was introduced to you on Coast to Coast AM, and I am a weekly listener to Conspiracy Unlimited and the Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. I download the podcasts to my phone and listen while I'm at work. I'm, I am part of a paranormal investigations group called Capture Paranormal, and your shows inspired me to start my own podcast called the Capture Paranormal Podcast, based around the group. Thank you for the hours of great listening, and I will continue to follow along. Thanks. Thanks, Jason. All the best. And I'd love to hear from you, too. Tell me who you are, where you are, and how and why you listen to Conspiracy Unlimited. Shoot me an email at richardserrett one at gmail.com. Jim Elvich holds a master's degree in electrical engineering from Cornell University. He has applied his training in the high-tech world as a leader in technology and enterprise management, including many years in executive roles for various companies and entrepreneurial ventures. He also holds four patents in digital signal processing. Beyond the high-tech realm, however, Elvich has years of experience as a musician, writer, and truth seeker. He merged his technology skills with his love of music, developed one of the first PC-based digital musicals, music samplers, and co-founded Radio Amp, the first private label online streaming radio company. For many years, Jim has kept pace with the latest research theories and discoveries in the various fields of subatomic physics, cosmology, artificial intelligence, nanotechnology, and the paranormal. This unique knowledge base has provided the foundation for his first full-length book, The Universe Solved, and his latest book is Digital Consciousness, A Transformative Vision. Jim Elvidge, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you, my friend? It's been a while. 
I'm great, and thank you very much, Richard, for having me back on. Uh, we go a long way back. Um, I've always enjoyed our conversations and the interviews, and it's great to be on your show again. Oh, likewise. You know, uh, how long has uh, this book, Digital Consciousness, been in the works? I'd say about two years. It took a little bit longer than the first one just because I, I think I was a little bit busier <laughs> over those two years. And uh, also the publishing process. Uh, I self-published the first book. This one, uh, I do have a publisher, and they're a little more rigorous. Uh, they take a little more time uh, to market it and so forth. So um, it's taken a little bit longer to get out uh, than I had originally thought. But, um, yeah, it's finally, finally available for pre-order. So I want to start off with a couple of definitions. What do you mean by a materialist reductionist paradigm? Yeah, that to me that is the sort of uh, standard paradigm that a lot of people believe. A lot of scientists believe that. Not all, uh, you know. Any anybody who's really explored uh, quantum mechanics has probably gotten away from that paradigm. But it's the idea that everything there's a, a cause for every effect, and that things are completely predictable and so that you can reduce uh, you know down to uh, the atomic level uh, the the nature of forces and atoms and things like that and theoretically uh, you know theoretically somewhere there's a, a theory that will explain exactly how everything works and you could theoretically p predict um, all behavior from that um, it's also uh, part of this uh, theory um, which is, you know, some people call scientific realism, is the idea that there's a real physical objective reality out there. So if we don't exist, if our consciousness doesn't exist, um, human race doesn't exist, no consciousness exists out there, there's still some physical reality. And, and that's that's the materialist uh, paradigm. Right. It It's very... Um it's very fatalistic in a way because everything is reduced to a predictable outcome. It's an equation. If you can, you know, all of the inputs that go into the computer, you can, you can determine what the output is going to be. It's a very a-religious view, isn't it? Because a religious person or a spiritual person argues against the materialist, uh, and 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 suggests that you know no obviously there's 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 more to the to the world than than can be seen or felt or touched or smelt and so forth yeah absolutely um there's a a theory called super determinism and i think that's that's the the theory that is sort of like ultimately uh you, you know when you when you drill down into the materialist paradigm, you get to super determinism, which basically says nobody has a free will. Everything that is going to happen is predestined, and we're we're kind of like cogs in a wheel. We're just going along for the ride. And yeah, it's very fatalistic. It's very uninspiring for sure. And that's not to say that that's why I you know search out a different theory or why um, you know this 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 theory that I talk about makes sense it's not because i'm afraid of fatalism or or anything like that it's just the evidence is there that basically says the materialistic paradigm is wrong it's kind of like you know an analogy i often use is the whole flat earth thing so if you walk around town you know you can walk around uh 
you know, the beach or the desert or wherever, and you look around, it just seems like it's flat. You don't see the curvature of the earth. You can't see it from the altitude of six feet. Um, and so, you know, it, it's, it's easy to be fooled into that. But of course, we know better. We've actually known better since the time of the Greeks that the earth was round. Um, and all it takes is a, you know, a spaceship or, or even a high-flying plane uh, to, to verify that. So, but, but what is apparent is just, you know, things look flat, and it's kind of like Newtonian mechanics. Uh, that seemed, uh, you know, a very apparent kind of theory until uh, Einstein tar- started talking about strange effects at speeds approaching this, uh, the speed of light then that theory doesn't make any sense anymore. So materialism is the same way. It's, it's what seems obvious to us because we're looking at everything at a macroscopic level. You know, we, we see cause and effect very easily. You know, we see a, a car crash into another car, we see the damage. We see, you know, a force cause, uh, you know, a motion on some other object. And so it all kind of makes sense at that macroscopic level. But that doesn't mean that there isn't anything completely different layers underneath that level. And that's, that's, where, that's where scientists are starting to explore now. And that's where they're all baffled because the results of experiments are indicating, yeah, that materialism, that materialistic paradigm doesn't exist. So your model of reality, or the one that you subscribe to and, and posit in digital consciousness, does it, does it have a name? And, and, and what is your model, basically? Uh, yeah, I call it digital consciousness. I, I used to call it programmed reality, and I kind of didn't like that. Um, after a while, I didn't like that because it implied that there was some programmer behind it. You know, when you think of uh, something programmed, it implies that there was some entity that programmed it, and I don't think that's necessarily the case. I do think it's digital. I think you know the idea of digital and consciousness are two key um, areas to explore. Um, and you can argue whether the universe that we see or the ultimate reality is digital or continuous, or you know, digital or analog, continuous or discrete. And from all of the evidence, it seems to me that it's digital. Uh, you can also argue whether or not consciousness is a more fundamental property of things than just an emergent property of the brain. And... I, I believe it is, and I believe there's a lot of evidence for that. So those two key things, the fact that the uh, all that there is, the, the, the universe is digital deep down, and that consciousness is not just an artifact of the brain, but more a fundamental construct of reality. Those two key things together have profound implications and profound explanatory power uh, for all of the anomalies that that uh, puzzle us these days. So when I think of digital, I think of television, I think of mm-hmm. the computer, I think of electronics. But how can consciousness or be digital? How can how can reality, when you scratch beneath the surface, be digital? I think of digital as ones and zeros. It's it's on or it's off. What mm-hmm. does that mean when we're re- when we're applying the term digital? To, to consciousness or to reality? Well, let, let's take reality first. Um, the, the consciousness question is, is actually a, a really good one and probably would take a little bit longer to talk about. But the idea of, of reality being digital, you could think of it this way. It's, it's another one of those things where if you look at something at a macroscopic level, it does appear continuous. So, for example, um, 
you, uh, you're at a pond or some body of water and you can see, you know, some ripples in the water or something. And, and it looks like a, a continuous flowing thing. If you drop a pebble in that, in that pond, you'll see discrete waves moving out from the point of entry of the pebble. So there's a digital or a, a discrete nature to those waves, but under those waves, they're just made of, you know, millions of molecules of water that seem to flow together. But when you go even further, now we're four levels down, that water is actually composed of molecules. And those molecules are discrete things. But then you go further down and traditional science would say, yes, those are uh, discrete things, but they're composed of, you know, fields of, of forces that uh, are continuous. And then when you go even further, we're probably six levels down now in, in this kind of thought experiment, um, quantum mechanics starts to, to come into play and everything seems to be discrete again. So it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a question that isn't obvious whether or not reality is ultimately discrete or continuous. But the idea is, from a, a spatial standpoint, if you subdivide space like say you have a ruler and you say well what's the midpoint of that okay you know six inches what's the midpoint between that and zero well three and then you keep on subdividing further and further in a continuous reality you would never ever get to um a point where there's nothing in between two points so space would be continuous in a digital reality ultimately you would get to some point where there's just you know, elements of space, and, and there's nothing in between those elements, sort of like cells of space, if you will. So, so that's, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's kind of the idea of, uh, of digital reality. And there's, again, a lot of evidence that supports the idea that reality is digital. For example, it takes an infinite amount of um, resources to be able to drill down into a continuous reality, because you never get there. Uh, so, if, if you, you know, posit that there could be some uh, designer or some purpose or something be, behind our reality, then by definition, they would probably have used a, uh, you know, even if it's a system that, uh, you know, self-corrects, it probably would have used some efficient method to be created. And it's, it's ultimately far more efficient to be digital than continuous. Right. So, yeah. So, 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 so deep down, um, it, it does appear to be. And, you know, even with uh, atoms, we, we thought that atoms used to be like billiard ball kind of things. And, you know, as we explored that, you know, Ernest Rutherford and others found that, no, it's mostly empty space. In fact, it's 10 to the 30th to one ratio of empty space to actual stuff. Um, and then the, that, that nucleus of uh, protons and neutrons they found was mostly empty space because it's composed of quarks which are way smaller than the protons and neutrons and the rest is empty space and then the string theorists say oh yeah well those quarks are mostly empty space they're just little vibrating bits of string which are one plank length in diameter and now you're at like 10 to the 50th to one in terms of how much empty space there is in something and that assumes that string is the ultimate uh, you know, endpoint to to this inspection. You know, deep into the nature of reality. But in string theory, the idea is that 
the vibration of the string, sort of the frequency of it, if you will, um, determines the kind of particle that it is. So if you have a number that says that's how fast the string vibrates, that determines the particle. Well, then you don't need any stuff. All you need is the number to determine what particle it is. At that point, you're just talking about data. And in fact, right, right. all of the things we interact with, there doesn't have to be stuff there. It feels like stuff, but all 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 we're feeling when we knock on a door, we're not we're you know, feeling is a word that's a very high level word. What we're interpreting are signals that are going to our brain that are telling us that we're extremely close to something else and there's a repulsive force uh, that, that is making it difficult for our knuckles to go any further into it. You know what I mean? So, so that communication that's happening in the brain is, is really what we feel when we think we feel stuff. We don't really feel stuff. Our, the molecules in our knuckles don't touch the molecules on a door. So, um, that's right. Yeah, well, when you get, it's like, yeah, it's, when you get right down to it, it's, it's, it's very interesting. Well, it's, it's, I think Einstein was maybe talking about that when he said that there is no matter, there's just energy that is slowed down to such, such a rate that it becomes perceptible to our senses. There is no matter. Yeah, exactly. And Einstein was one of those people, I have, I have so much respect for him because he thought out of the box. He, he, you know, one of the things that is very common uh, in the scientific world is, you know, the foundation that all theories are based on is something that has been learned. And it's something that often isn't questioned. Well, Einstein was able to say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm not going to assume anything. I'm going to think out of the box and, and question everything that I've always learned. And that takes, that takes a lot of courage. And he was, and he came up with some amazing, uh, ideas because of that. He was going to do it his way. The history of rock and roll is littered with suspicious deaths and the unexplainable. If he wasn't going to get off the grog, which he wasn't, it was probably going to kill him. Lennon, Hendrix, Presley, Jim Morrison, the truth told by the experts and the people there. Revelations that will blow your mind. The Rock and Roll Twilight Zone with Richard Serrett. Listen and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and the Westwood One Podcast app. Theoretical physicists say that there's as many as 12 hyperdimensions. Here are just three of them. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, here's an extra one. Conspiracy Unlimited. Hey, how about one more? Conspiracy Unlimited. And the great thing is we have six hyperdimensions left. Conspiracy Unlimited. Five. Or something like that. I'll ask Richard later. Jim Elvidge, the author of Digital Consciousness, is here. So this this paradigm uh, of reality, digital consciousness, has has led you to tackle all of the big questions uh, that have uh, that that mankind has contemplated uh, since forever. Uh, and let's start with the big one. You know, is there a God? How does one use the digital consciousness paradigm to tackle that question and what is the answer sure um and i think 
again, like the word feeling, the word God is something that comes with all kinds of assumptions. In the Judeo-Christian world, we, we think of God as the pictures that we you know, have seen drawn of God that, that are hanging in the Louvre and, and other uh, museums. Um, but another concept of God, the more Eastern concept of God, is kind of all that there is. And that's really the way I look at it, too. All that exists, um, think of it as a sea of consciousness. <clears throat> Let's call that God. So if we want to use that word, that's fine. Um, but I think because it has so many specific connotations to people, I try to avoid using that word. But the meaning is still the same, especially in the Eastern sense. We are part of it because we are part of the huge sea of consciousness, which is all that there is, which could be called God. Consciousness is all that there is. That's interesting. Let's examine that a little bit. Is that a little bit like the old, um, if a tree falls in the forest and there's no one around, does it make a sound? Um, so if all there is is consciousness and there's nobody there to hear it, that would suggest that it doesn't make a sound. Right, and, and we're, we're def definitely getting to some artifacts of this uh, this idea, and some of this is pretty well, I wouldn't say proven because I don't like that word, you know, pretty well supported by some uh, quantum mechanics experiments. Um, I'm certainly not the first to think of consciousness as fundamental. Uh, again, Eastern religions uh, explored this in using their own words. Uh, Max Planck in 1931, he's a pretty respect respectable uh Nobel laureate who said, I regard consciousness as fundamental. I regard matter as derivative from consciousness. And when I saw that quote, I was like, oh my God, you know, he, he got it. He, he understood this. So consciousness is just a, uh, you know, an, an attribute of the complexity of the, all that there is. The, and and uh, my uh, colleague and friend, uh, Tom Campbell has, has said, Consciousness is organized bits. I think that's the way he put it. So it's the same idea. You know, the deep down, all that there is, is consciousness. And we are a part of that. So that consciousness that you have is a little subset of the big consciousness, of the big God. So when, when Eastern religions talk about, and, and in, I refer to these religions, you know, not not in, in the sense that, you know, we should just like blindly believe it, but it's interesting that a lot of religious thought, uh, or certainly spiritual thought, comes out of real experiences that people have. There is a, uh, an experience, uh, some people call a mystical experience or religious experience, where um, you're, you go into a very different state. Uh, it's never happened to me. I've read about it. It's happened to some... Um, uh, you know, scientists, it's happened to philosophers, it's happened to random people at times. And they, they see things, they grasp a deeper sense of reality. And I think some of the founders of spiritual thought um, experienced this as well. And what's interesting is the commonality of what they experienced. They all say the same thing, whether it's, you know, Hinduism, Buddhism, Sikhism, uh, you know, Taoism, even some of the esoteric parts of uh, Judaism and Christianity, you know, will say we are part of God. They all say the same thing. So 
in the sort of scientific or mathematical point of view, if consciousness is all these organized bits and our soul or our, our entity um, is based on just a subset of that, it's really saying the same thing as these um, ancient mystics said. So consciousness is really all that there is. Um, let me go back to that tree in the forest, but maybe tackle it a little differently. If I leave a room and close the door, is that room still there? Yeah, it is. And, and here's the way I think of it. Um, you're, I'm sure you're familiar with a lot of uh, video games. And uh, let's imagine you're playing a video game. We'll just use that as an analogy for the way our reality seems to work. Uh, you're playing a video game, and the designers of the game, and some games create their own artifacts, so it isn't just the designers. It could be an AI. The, the designers of the game create a room or a, a, like a building. And the building has no doors and no windows. There's no way to get into it. And your avatar there is, you know, trying to find a way into the room. Well, the the system that's running this program, this uh, virtual reality or this fantasy world, doesn't need to design what's inside the room. It doesn't have to put furniture in there or, or paint the walls or anything because nobody's ever been in there. But the minute, you know, the the player finds a key and then uses a key to unlock the door and open the door to go into the room. Now we dynamically have to create the reality inside the room. So once it's created, I can close the door and walk away. There's no sense in making it disappear. It's already been created. I can go back in, it's gonna look exactly the same. So the point is that the system, in that case, the system being the program that generates this virtual reality experience, it is efficient, and in being efficient, it only does what it has to do at the at the last minute to make everything consistent. So when there's a need for the room to have furniture in it, it creates the furniture in the room. And in this, the same way, that, that same idea, it seems to be exactly the way things happen in the quantum experiments, like the delayed choice quantum eraser experiment, I'm sure you've heard of that, and, and it's, it's an analogous kind of thing, that it, it doesn't make any sense what's happening in that experiment. It almost seems like the decisions that are made by the particles that are going through these lasers and mirrors and things like that happen after the result of the experiment. And, and it, in fact, it does which is baffling people because it seems like it's not causal. The cause and effect is reversed, like something's happening in the past after the decision is made, you know, at some point in the future. But it's the same argument. It doesn't need to determine those paths until the experiment is closed or there's an observer. Now, here's where there's a really interesting uh, question. Is it a human conscious observer or any conscious observer that needs to uh, create that definitive position or those definitive paths that the particles created? Or is it just merely the fact that the experiment has to end and the data has to be collected? You know what I mean? So if the data is collected and stored in a file and the file is never looked at, did those, did those paths come into existence? And I tend to think they did. I think hmm. the the evidence now supports that that's the case. It's not necessarily a human observer that requires this. Uh, I know Tom Campbell has a uh, uh, go start me or, or you know one of those kind of 
um, funds to run some experiments to determine these kinds of things. Uh, and I'm not sure if he's run the experiment yet, but I suspect it's going to end up being that it's the efficiency of the, the, the greater system that drives the creation of the reality and not a human observer. Let me go so back. It's, a, it's a long-winded answer to your question. No, 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 but I, no. I hope it makes some sense. <laughs> Um, sometimes, sometimes I, I surprise myself and I, I understand. And then other times I feel like I'm a, I'm a drifted sea, but a sea of consciousness, perhaps. Um, it's, there's a, there's a, there's a saying in Buddhism about, you know, if you, if you, if you, um, if you catch it, it it'll be yours forever or something, but if you miss it, it'll be gone forever. I, uh, I'm probably mm-hmm. misremembering that. Anyway, I wanted to get back to consciousness. Uh, and and that leads us to the other big question we talked about about God, uh, and God is sort of just everything. Uh, but then, what happens to us after our physical bodies die? What happens to uh, my consciousness? I mean, as a as a Christian, I believe you know in an, an eternal soul. Are we talking about the same thing? An eternal soul is consciousness. Yeah, we are, um, and that's you know that's that's the that's an interesting uh, observation. I I think one of the mistakes that we make sometimes is in thinking that our waking physical reality is all that there is. You know what the telescopes are looking deep into space and peering at things ten billion light years away, and you know that that's the limits of our reality. Whereas this, what we think of as our physical reality is illusory it's uh it's a virtual reality actually and the the deeper reality is what we experience when we die Hmm. Um, or what we experience sometimes when we meditate and maybe even what we experience when we when we dream Uh, so the in-between lives uh the near-death experiences are hints of getting to the you know, the truer reality. And that's the one that is the sea of consciousness, I think. Now, it doesn't have to be. It could be that, that there's an even, you know, there's another layer, you know, beneath that. And that's the, the sea of consciousness. And that's a digital. It's, I don't really know. I mean, I don't think we could, that's, that's one of those questions where it may be impossible to know. But the fact that we do have a lot of anecdotal evidence of people who have experienced in between lives who have experienced reincarnation, who, you know, and you can corroborate some of their past life experiences, who have near-death experiences that, statistically speaking, they line up so well, you know, across different cultures that it's hard to come up with any reason why they would exist other than the fact that, you know, we are attaching to some other uh, entity or some other um, level of reality. So these kinds of things are, you know, it's real evidence. It's real uh, consumable evidence that there's another aspect to it. And that's, I think, where the real consciousness probably lives. The materialists, of course, say that's all anecdotal. And they say things, for example, that you can stimulate or you can simulate a near-death experience by stimulating certain cortexes in the brain. Uh and that, that uh, for example, uh, a near-death experience is just the, the brain's way of making the death experience perhaps more pleasant. You know, the, the tunnel of white light, yeah, see, I, I, seeing relatives. Honestly, yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's been totally disproven. There are so many studies now that, uh, for, for example, uh, people have the same experience when they're not oxygen deprived. So there have been uh, what's called shared death experiences where you are with somebody who is dying and you have an experience along with them. Well, you're not, your brain isn't oxygen deprived. So that white light that you see and all the same kind of experience that you have that's the hallmark of a near-death experience, you can have in a shared death scenario when you're not oxygen deprived. And, and fighter pilots who hit you know 9Gs or something like that and have oxygen deprivation to their brain, they don't have near-death experiences. It's, it's something completely different. So the materialists sadly cling to, it's like an ancient religion that they just won't let go of and for fear of, I don't know, tumbling their entire foundation of, of belief system. But, you know, the evidence is, is just pretty clear to me. So then do you think uh, at some point we will be able to measure things like, I don't want to, well, I'll use the word the soul, or if people want to use consciousness, that's fine. But the idea that it, the moment that it, it's leaving the body, will we will be able to, to measure things like that? I don't know. I've never been asked that question, and, and my gut tells me no. Um, I know back in the early 1900s, I think people did some experiments where they weighed people before or after dying, and and you know tried to claim that there was some small difference in weight as if the soul had a had a weight but to me the soul is is again ultimately it's just information i think all that there is is just information and so it can't really have weight but i could be wrong i mean you know maybe there would be a way to to measure that i just can't imagine it right now <laughs> so the idea of consciousness then being eternal uh, and, and people argue about where the center of the mind is, where is the mind, and the materialist again would say, well, it's perhaps centered in the brain, the mind is in the body. The mind is in the body, you would argue that the body is in the mind. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the body is uh, is a perception of the of the mind, really. It's, a, it's an avatar for us to, to learn with. Um, yeah, I, I think that's that's probably the the best way to put it. But the idea that there is, I mean, is there an objective re, uh, an objective reality? Is there an objective truth? Uh, well, I suppose that there 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 could be. I mean, I think that there are some things that are more real than others. So, for example, the in between lives, the afterlife, the um, where the the soul resides is probably much more objective than our the virtual reality that we appear to live in. Um, I did mention before that it's possible too that that's even virtual and that there's something deeper that's more fundamental. But um, so that's why I say you know levels of reality. Uh, I, I think it's clear that the reality we're in is virtual, but it's not yet clear that the reality that we go to in between lives. Uh, is, is virtual. Okay, well, that concludes part one of my conversation with Jim Elvich. Now, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be right back with a word or two about episode 133, which drops Friday. 
Hey, this is Tony Merkel, host of The Confessionals, a blog talk radio podcast that brings you weekly interviews with eyewitness accounts of strange and unexplained events. From paranormal activity to UFO encounters to Bigfoot sightings, step into The Confessionals as we explore mysterious real-life stories. Check us out on your favorite podcast app or theconfessionalspodcast.com. Many thanks to Conspiracy Unlimited for having me on the air. I'll see you all on The Confessionals. Coming up Friday, more of my conversation with Jim Elvidge on the nature of reality and digital consciousness. One thing about memory, though, memory is absolutely faulty. When you recall something, you're not recalling the original thing. What you're recalling is the last time that you recalled it. So there's no, like, hard-coded original, or necessarily, there might, it might be somewhere in your consciousness or somewhere in the Akashic record or whatever we want to call it. There could be the original thing there, but the thing that you your mind has more recent access to is the thing that you pull out. So if over time it changes because somebody convinced you something was different or you saw a TV show that portrayed it differently or some scene in a movie is in your mind or something like that, then you start really remembering and start reinforcing that false memory. And this does happen to people. Until next time, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. 